0: Welcome to the Redeemer Coast Podcast. Our prayer is that this message will inspire hope, build your faith, and encourage you with God's purposes for your life. read this morning from uh, from acts christina read from acts and it's a it's an amazing story (laughs) Um, and we've been sort of sticking in there a little bit as we talk about the call of god in our lives i find it amazing story there's a few really interesting verses in there first of all we've talked about how uh, Luke, so this is really this part two of the same story, right? You've got the Gospel of Luke, and then Luke says to Theophilus, he says, uh, in the first part that I wrote to you, I recounted the acts of Jesus, the works of Jesus, up until the time that he departed and went to heaven, inferring that the works of Jesus were to continue uh, with the disciples. Because Luke says, the works of Jesus, his works, up until he died and went to heaven. And so we have this situation where uh, the disciples now uh, we we, a few weeks ago we learned about after the resurrection um, uh, Jesus went fishing and there's nothing wrong with fishing who loves fishing Uh, who likes fishing anyone no I I don't really like fishing I like catching fish (laughs) and um, and uh, and Jesus wasn't against them going fishing, but this futility of life that Peter had sort of slipped back into, and, and when he found his purpose and following Jesus, and Jesus said, throw the net on the other side, and all of a sudden there was 153 fish. And that story is not without significance. It was written in there because we're to know that, that it's not like we get saved and then we get raptured. And, and it's not like then we become some sort of... Uh, um, uh, um, we just have a totally different life we're still here guys we're still here but our life purpose has changed and jesus had promised peter that if you follow me i'll make you fishers of a men and just to demonstrate how god could provide he said throw the net on the other side and remember, we learned, uh, and it was one of the interesting facts about this story, is that there must have been a divide underneath that boat where there was 153 fish. And, and you know, we know it's very similar to that divide in the Tasman Sea between Tasmania and, and New Zealand, you know, where on one side it's fish and the other side it's fish. But if you can imagine, there's 153 fish there. But I find this story amazing because the disciples jesus has met with them for 40 days and and luke said and through many convincing proofs had established that he had been risen from the dead and then he comes and he gives them the great commission of course we we uh we read about it the, fully in matthew 28 where he said all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me go ye therefore into all the world making disciples of all nations and he gives a, 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 there's another rendition of it in, that Luke re- recalls in, in Acts. And so Jesus gives them again the commission, and then Jesus goes up into heaven. Now, um, if there's any stage in history that you would like to be, like if we, you have time machines and you'd like to go back, have you ever thought about this? any Doctor Who fans here like if you could go back like for a month or three months uh, for me it would be like the month before the 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 uh, crucifixion and resurrection and the two months afterwards I would love to see that who'd love to see that who'd love to see that I'd love to see that And, and but you see we're looking at this from a very Western mind you know the 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 apostles were looking at it from a Judeo mind and they firmly believed That Jesus was going to bring about the kingdom of God here in Jerusalem where he would then reign, kick out the Romans like God had done a number of times before. And then they would have their kingdom established, you know. We're going to read a little bit uh, later uh, where they're coming into Jerusalem and Jesus has got to talk to them about that and he gives them warning but in this instance of course they're sure now <laughs> I mean he's come back from the dead he's appearing he's walking in and out of walls it's all happening it's all happening now and Jesus goes up and, and he gives them the Commission he says now you go into all the world <laughs> and They think we just lost you <laughs> you've just come back from the dead <laughs> what's the deal and he says, "And now you go into all the world and preach the gospel." And then he ascends. I'd like to see that. Who'd like to? I'd like to see that. You just imagine they're there on, you know, and, and the they the, and they're looking, and Jesus is talking to him, and and then he just goes up and up, and a cloud comes to meet him, and he goes up, and they're like this. And the Bible says that you know, they were standing there, and it's not just stood; it's like they stood fixed. <laughs> what's going through your mind is like, thinking, "Where's the next? What's the next trick, Jesus?" You know, really seriously, what's going to happen now? We're restoring the kingdom, you know, and, and like they're probably waiting for these, you know, armies going to come. And <laughs> you would, and then all of a sudden, the Bible says these two white guys clothed in bright white, appear beside them. And you can imagine one the. day, <laughs> you can, imagine, can you imagine really being a disciple, that you look, sit and look at it, and all of a sudden, <laughs> this, this, this white guy has just appeared. It's an angel, you know, that's commonly described as an angel, clothed in white. you, see, and you go, okay, what's going on here? And then the angel says something which just baffled me. The angel said, why are you standing there looking? Now, personally, I would have thought it would be obvious, wouldn't it? (laughs) You'd think it'd be obvious. It was Jesus, God in the flesh. He just said, it's pretty obvious. Now, the angels, of course, had inside knowledge. The disciples had the inside knowledge too. They are just like us. They're just too thick to know what to do with their lives sometimes. Jesus had prepared them. It's interesting when Luke's recounting uh, this, this uh, instance and then an the instance also when Jesus is coming up into Jerusalem, he, he says a number of times, because the disciples thought that Jesus was going to usher in the kingdom of God. But the angels had inside knowledge, because the Bible says the angels marvel at what happened at the resurrection, the death and res- resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that God would entrust the gospel with man so these angels are standing there and they turned to their disciples and he said guys what are you doing what are you doing standing there don't you know you've got a mission guys we've got work to do every Saturday morning my dad used to wake me up seven o'clock we lived in Hunters Hill and it was like what are you doing get out of bed (laughs) we've got we've got a garden to lower by by two foot because we've got a pool to dig we're going to go shopping but the angels are standing there guys we've got work to do and the other thing that amazes me is that the angels were there were they all there all along have you thought about this you need to read the bible and think about it (laughs) i think about this were they there all along they must have been there all along gosh there's probably angels here And the Bible says they're sent to render service for those who administer salvation. They're there. Now they saw two of them. That's called discerning of spirits. They saw two of them. There might have been more. But the angels knew what the job was. They guys, we're going to get into Jerusalem. And the angels are said to said to the boys, the men, the others that were there. No doubt there were ladies there. And uh said, so we've got a job to do, guys. Don't just stand there. And they said, don't you realize that the same way that he came back, he went up, he is going to come back. And, we're, and they're calling. They called Peter, James, John, all of them. Guys, stock take your life. What are you doing? You're standing there. What are you doing? Standing there, looking We have a job to do and sometimes often probably daily but sometimes we really have to stop and take stock of our lives and say what are we doing what why am I here what is the value why why does God value me why has he esteemed me why has he called me and take a stock of our lives now uh, just turn to philippians 2 would you you got your there's little notes there should be on a chair you can use those if you want to take notes and then bring them to home group we'll talk about it in philippians 2 philippians 3 we see that paul took a stock of his life he says to uh, in verse 3 he says for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of god And we glory in Christ and we put no confidence in the flesh. And then he says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And he says, This I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as of the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gain to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in, the viewing of the, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. And Paul tells us there how he took a stock of his life. And he had a life he could brag about. And he was Hebrew of Hebrews. He studied under Gamaliel, who was the leading uh, Pharisee and teaching of the time. And uh, he, according to the law, he was perfect, and he was being primed for this huge career. He was on his way up, and uh, and he says here. But when I look at that, by comparison to Christ, he said, "I count it as loss." I think one tr- one translation says, "I count it as a dung heap." I count it as loss. Now that doesn't mean those things were worthless. God used those things, he uses our gifts, but it means by comparison to the call that God has on my life, I put that on the side of a loss. And uh, we're to judge our lives. We're no longer to stand there looking up, and thinking, that's what happens of course. Bishop N.T. Wright, we talked about that. He says the problem with most of the church and the resurrection is they think it ends there for Christians. And the resurrection is not an end. The resurrection is a beginning of the life that God has for us. The disciples were just starting to get it. They were just starting to understand. Now we know uh, if you're a parent, for example, you, uh, you learn to give your life over to the little ones, don't you? <laughs> you learn what love is. And you learn the more important things in life. Uh, if you're a dad, you learn there's nothing wrong with fishing. Fishing's good, but when you go fishing, what do you do? You take your little tyke with you. And you know that when you that time you spent. Uh, looping the hook on that you do much quicker if you do it yourself but you stand much much quicker if you do it yourself and the hook would probably stay on but you realize your purpose in life is greater than fishing your purpose is your child that's with you and so you judge yourself you judge your life and you say why was i born i'm a i'm a father What's the purpose of me to be a father? You take your little son fishing with you, and those moments mold his life. Or your daughter, take your daughter, take your daughter's fishing. And so instead of focusing on seeing how many fish you can catch, you're focusing on, on that this time is precious with this child. That exceeds the value of the fishing. And God says to judge your life, because we're here now. We're here now. Jesus will return. And we're to stand here and judge our life and see for what value, for what purpose, for what eternal purpose was I chosen? Was I called? Because what we do now, guys, literally echoes into eternity. And it counts. I preach grace. We teach grace. We're all over grace. Grace is all over us. It's interesting, though, that there's a number of places, uh, for example, in Peter, Uh, The epistles Peter where he says what we do on this earth now we will be rewarded for which means how we choose to live our life we will be rewarded for now you think well maybe that's works it's not works because then what he says is he says what's done in grace what's done according to will of God what's done with the strength of God will go through with us into the next age what was done we chose to do in our flesh and the life that we lived by ourselves, for ourselves, uh, the Bible says will be burnt up, and that people will go through. If you're born again and saved, you'll go through into heaven, but as though you go through as one through the fire. Which means that those, that the plans and purposes that were our plans and purposes, and the things we did in our strength for our glory, and that they'll be burned up, and and there's a mercy in that, guys. We don't want that stuff in heaven, do we? We don't want that guilt and condemnation in heaven. But some of us are going to go through smelling like fire. And I'm going to have to take some wipes with me. (laughs) But we'll be rewarded according to how we fulfilled the call of God on our life. Now that's an awesome thing, but that's a beautiful thing. Peter says, uh, Peter says, uh don't be like the heathen who say, Look, things are as they have always been, because Jesus is going to return. He will return. And we have value. We have purpose. He's called us not just for salvation. He's called us for victory. He's called us to enforce his kingdom. He's called us while he's away with the Father sitting at the right hand and the Father interceding on behalf. He's called us to be Christ in the world. And we say this here. We say if they can get to us at Redeemer, they can get to Jesus. When we walk into our workplace, that's Jesus that walks into the workplace. When we lay hands on the sick, that can be Jesus laying hands on the sick. And the esteem and the value that he trusts on us is beautiful. Now, in Luke uh, chapter 19, Jesus, uh, so this is just, you know, 40 days before what we read in Acts 1. Luke chapter 19 who's got the little is it Luke 19 what's the verse on that Luke 19 verse 11 I used a different Bible to what I studied this uh, studied it in so this is the parable of money usage it says while they were listening while they were listening to these things Jesus went to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So what the disciples are thinking, they know they're going up to Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus has just like raised Lazarus from the dead. It's the word is out there. He's going up into Jerusalem. And the disciples are fully expecting Jesus to take over Jerusalem, take over, be the new David, take over from the Romans. This is, this is their mindset. This is what they're thinking. And so Jesus tells them this parable. He said, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and he gave them ten miners, and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that, the, that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that they might, he might know the business they had done. And he, they, the first appeared saying, Master, your miner has made ten miners more. And he said to them, well done, good slave. And Matthew, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Your minor master has made five miners." And he said to him also, You are to be over five cities. Another came saying, Master, here is your minor. I put it in a handkerchief because I was afraid of you. You are an exacting man. You take what you do not lay down. You reap what you do not sow. And he said to them, By your own words I will judge you. You are a worthless save. Did, did you know that I am an exacting, I'm an exacting man, taking up what I do not lay down and reaping what I do not sow? Then why did you not put the money in a bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. And he said to the bystanders, take the miner away for him and give it to the one who has ten miners. And he said to him, Master, they, they said to him, Master, he has ten miners already. He said, I tell you you that to everyone who has more, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them and slay them in my presence. Well, that's a pretty um, astounding uh, parable. It's like everyone's on the edge of their seat. (laughs) I like to look at it as good news i like to try and share these things as good news so we'll we'll talk about the four classes of people that it talks about in there uh the first one is those who reject jesus um let's just get get a little bit of understanding there so so jesus is saying i am the one who is called to reign here he said but i am going to go to, to, it says to a foreign a foreign kingdom. Uh, so he's a sub-ruler over this land, and I'm going to get my authority to come back and rule and to bring the kingdom of God to pass in this place. So he's telling his disciples that he's going away for, he says, an extended time. Do you realize that we are living in that extended time? And then Jesus says there was ten servants. Well, uh, in... in uh, in those times, if you round it to like a number 10, this this like a generic number. This actually means all his servants. So he's not saying these specific 12, he's saying his servants. And he says he gave them 10 minor, which is about three months worth of wages, so they're looking at about $20,000. And he says, go and invest them. Again, it's a generic number. So there's no way of weaseling out of this. He's really saying, all the people that come after it, all the people that read, that read it, this is talking about you. You are my servants. And, and I've saved you, and I've called you, and I've gifted you, and I believe in you. You know, Jesus came, we know Jesus came to show us, uh, us God, but he also came to show us who we are. And that's wonderful news. It's wonderful that God is love, but it's wonderful that he esteems us. It's wonderful that he values us, that he entrusts us with his great commission. You know, really, uh, anyone can believe God. That really doesn't change your life much if you believe in a God or just a generic God. But what changes your life is to realize that God believes in you. And he esteems you and we, we need to wake up in the morning and look ourselves in the mirror and say, God believes in me this morning. He knows what I did yesterday, but he still believes in me. He knew I was going to do those things before the foundation of, th- but he still believes in me. And he entrusts me with his gospel. And these ten minors, they're like they're valuable, they're very valuable, but but they're just a generic it's a generic gift. And the Bible says we're all gifted. So, there's those that reject Jesus and they turn away from his lordship. I love C.S. Lewis's uh, idea of, of hell. As people say to me, uh, people say, you know, you hear him say, How can a loving God cast anyone to hell? Well, that's figurative. He doesn't cast anyone into hell, they actually go into hell because they reject him. And C.S. Lewis reckons hell is going to be uh, locked from hell. The inside, uh, the lock for says, for the for the hell is going to be on the inside, and when you meet people that are so screwed up and so tormented with hate, and and everyone on the earth now has what we call just a generic a general grace on their lives, an opportunity to come to know God, but when that grace, God's presence, is pulled away from him, the hate and the bitterness, and the people that are going to be in there in tor- torment, are, are going to be there of their own will. He also says, you know. Um, there's two types of people, those that say to God, thy will be done, and those who God says to them, thy will be done. So that's, that's that class. But then there's the other class that he talks about there, which are obviously people that have been servant of, of, uh, of God, who are born again, and who know that they've been gifted, who decide to do nothing with their gifts. You know, it's funny, in the kingdom of God, it's really a reverse economy you know the things of God. It's like a reverse economy. You know, the more you give away, the more that God's able to bring to you. The more you bless, the more blessed you are. The more it's more blessed to give so than to receive. It literally is. And but the thing about in, in the world economy, you've got uh, low risk, uh, low return. You understand that, and then but of course the high risk investments uh the high return you're more likely to get a high return but they're very risky and so when you're managing your superannuation portfolio they ask you to put a percentage and they reckon you know five ten percent on the high risk things in the kingdom of god the low risk is the low return the high risk is backed by god well what do i mean by that because if you ignore the gift that god's got on your life jesus says it gets taken away i have lost count on the amount of people i've been saved what uh, 43 years and the amount of people i know who who uh, say they're born again i've got no reason to to doubt that they were born again um, but didn't value the things of god and now if they're in god i don't know and and if they and and their children aren't and their grandchildren aren't if they're my generation and uh so and so they had this low risk re- attitude To the things of god on their life where they they low value it they don't esteem it and they thought well i'm not going to take much risk out there with the kingdom of god and so there's a low return and there's the risk of no return at all and that's that's the third one and then there's the second one this one i find very interesting because jesus turned to the disciples to to you know the the ruler turned to the servant that said said you know i didn't i was scared and i actually don't i think there's almost a hint of sarcasm in Jesus' response to that because I think the ruler didn't believe him that he was scared. He just played it back to him. I, don't know, I think you get in that situation, it's more likely that I just got other things to do. <laughs> you know, uh, I've got other things to live my life with. And I've got other things which are beautiful, and that's one of the big traps as Christians is that we see the beauty of the creation around and we start to worship the creation rather than the Creator. Sunsets are beautiful, but how much more beautiful are sunsets when you're in God's will? How much more beautiful when you're, when you're praying and you know that people are coming to God, you know and it walks through wilderness and and camping, they're beautiful, but how much more beautiful when you're reaching people for the Jesus are those times when you, I don't know, run in Christian camps. The, you know, life gets, gets just invigorated. It's like, you know, you've seen those ads on TV. There's an ad going around on TV at the moment for the, I don't know if it's TV or whether it's on Instagram or something, for this type of fantastic sunglasses, all right, and they show all the glare of the trucks and you put these sunglasses on and you go whoa, that's beautiful I can see the dolphin and there's some whales and the colours you've seen those ads? Well walking in your plans and purposes life becomes like that that, that the things that you always enjoyed you enjoy more it's salted it's flavoured you enjoy life more but the trap for Christians is just to get comfortable it's always been the trap it was the trap for children of Israel as they're going he said the trap will be you'll get comfortable and I think that's what happened with this third, third class. But what really interests me is Jesus' response to, him, to, to that servant. He said, you could have at least loaned it to a bank, take it to an investor, take it to a, a bank lender. Now I'm thinking about that because the word that, that um, Jesus used there is like a communion table. Or it's like what they the, the bank lenders had a table uh, where they would people would go if you if you came across some money and you wanted to invest it and you'd give it to that banker and the banker would give would go and invest it and then you get a return on that. And Jesus said the very the very least, so this is like the minimum standard for Christians, the very least thing is to join with other people who share the same vision and the same purpose. It's like the bare minimum. And I I say to people that join us here at Redeemer Coast, I said, that's the minimum. I said, I'm really not going to, we're not going to ask you to do anything, uh, you know, until that faith is built up in you, that you realize that call and recognize that gift. But just come and join with us. And, you know, it's a blessing when you join with us. You get blessed, we get blessed. Uh, there's, there's just a presence of God here. There's a gift that you bring. And Jesus said the bare minimum was just to join with people of the same vision and the same purpose. And actually, if you live your life and your Christian life, and that's all you do, you help out at church, you come and you join with it, and then that, that gift in you is then multiplied by the people around you and the gift of call on, on them in their life because having you there is going to help them. And, and, uh, and if that's all we do, he says, that's like the minimum. Well, I can do that. Who can do that? I can do that. We are so valued that even just bringing our presence without the Christians brings God into the room and brings the blessing of God into the room. And things happen because we're here. Hallelujah. And then the greater ones, of course, are people that, like Paul, who decide to lay down their life for the gospel? Just lay down your life for the gospel. And Jesus said to him, No one lays down their life and does not receive tenfold, does not receive tenfold uh, in this life. God can outgive the world. And the sermon's called How to Add Value to Your Life. And really, it's about finding what things in life are valuable. Why are we here? Why are we called? Assess our life. What's God's plans and purposes? He's got plans and purposes for everyone. Our, our key verse for this series is, is that, what is it, Ephesians two ten, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared beforehand that we should work in there. And we said to the team this morning that, that you are, you're loved, you're valued, and you're needed. I mean, people would give anything to know they're loved they're valued and they're needed it's it's almost too good to be true you're loved you're valued you're needed say that with me i'm loved i'm valued i'm needed your life has worth your life has purpose the first step is just hooking up with a good church that is literally the first step it's not here that's fine Find somewhere, different horses for different courses, I might like to say. I won't say it. There's a lot of good churches around. I don't mean that genuinely. We pray for them. We bless them. We promote them. But find a body where you can at least take your gift and put it on the table. And so I'm part of this. You'll prosper. You'll grow. You'll find purpose. And that little gift that you've put down there, there's, there's, there's more to it. There's more God has for you. Just take that step. There's more that God has for you. It might be out there. It might freak you to know what it is. Uh, You is. Two or five years down the road. But it's all right. Just do the first step. Just take what you have. You know, the parable of the, the fish. That's not the parable. The story of the, the, the two fish and the five loaves. Is that right? Or was it five fish and two loaves? Five loaves and two fishes. And, you know, the, the profound thing about the five loaves and two fishes is that it really didn't matter what he had really <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't matter what this little boy had and it doesn't matter really what we bring what we have to bring as long as we bring what we have and because it's not us that does the work it's, it's God that does the work praise God that's the kingdom of God that's the kingdom of God I find it profound whenever Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. He didn't talk about big concerts or big conferences. I love big conferences. I've been there. I love them. Nothing wrong with them. Go and get blessed, get fed, come back and bless us, all that. They're not saying against them. But he talked the kingdom of God really works like the mustard seed, just that little thing that you lay. And really, you think about any unskilled farmhand can go into an orchard and pluck fruit from established trees. But it takes a visionary, uh, kingdom of God, someone that's got the kingdom of God birthed in them, knows how it works, to sow what little they have and to water it and seed it. And the people around you, the people around you are what we're sowing into.